Hey, you guys doing all right? Good to see you. Yes, welcome. So good to have you on this Veterans Weekend. Also, wherever you are joining us at, online around the globe, we're so glad you're with us. Uh, we are starting to uh, round third and head home on our James series, the book of James, five chapters. And so we're really tackling about a chapter at a time. And if you want to go back and catch up, um, we've, we've dove in and, and covered a lot of territory. Uh, a couple of things to know about James. Uh, and then the reason we want to know about James is because um, we here at Cape Christian, we believe that in order to understand the words of the Bible, it helps to know the world of the Bible. Uh, as if we know the world of the Bible, we cannot just know the Bible for what it says, but we can actually understand what the Bible means. And if we don't know what the Bible means, the danger is we will make it say whatever we want it to say. And there's a lot of people doing that these days. And so, um, so the world of the Bible, it helps to know the, the background and the context of what's going on. And so in the book of James, uh, written by James, James um, was around Jesus' time. James didn't believe in Jesus initially. Uh, until after he died and rose again, James was the initial pastor of the church of Jerusalem. So he was teaching these um, former Jews or Jews that were following Judaism to be followers of Jesus. Uh, they were under a lot of persecution from Rome. They were under a lot of persecution uh, also from the Jews who didn't believe in Jesus because they felt like they were kind of attacking their temple system. And James's book is really influenced by two main sources, the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, which almost all of his audience would have known and memorized, as well as um, Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, and most specifically, his first sermon, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And James is really, um, really just helping us be really practical followers of Jesus. He's not introducing new ideas, and he's just bringing this idea of like, what does it really look like to love God with all your heart and love your neighbor? And so we've been saying this every week, and we'll continue to introduce it. James wants us to wrestle with this question. What's the ultimate goal of my life? is the ultimate goal of my life to truly become more and more like Jesus. Now, there's one other thing about James that I think is the most remarkable thing about James that we've kind of just glossed over for the most part is that James was also Jesus's little brother. Can you imagine the pressure of being Jesus's little brother? Like how many times growing up did he hear, oh, James, why can't you be more like Jesus, right? Like because... Every People didn't know who Jesus was, so everybody probably just assumed that whatever Jesus could do, James could do. But he couldn't. James was just James. He wasn't James Christ. <laughs> right? Like, I, you remember when there was a wedding, and there was, they were having a great time, and they ran out of wine, and everybody's like, Jesus, we ran out of wine. And so he takes this water, and he turns it into a wine, and they're like, yeah, let's go. What you don't know is the next week there was another wedding banquet, but Jesus left early. And everybody turned to James. <laughs> like, you just going to stand there with your sandals on? Like, you're not going to even try to make some punch or something, right? Like, could you imagine the pressure? And so James, James like grew up with Jesus. And so for me, as a, as a follower of Jesus, as somebody who appreciates the history of this, this adds a lot of credibility uh, to me. And so um, James, I can only imagine what it was like being kids, James and Jesus in the same house uh, and any of us who have kids, we, we know what that potentially could look like or does look like in your house. Uh, you know, for us, it's a little bit different. You know, we had two kids a decade apart. Uh, we had one when we were 30 and another when we were 40. Uh, our, our second child, Blake, is, is kind of our miracle baby. In fact, he just turned a year and a half. Let's see little Blake. Uh, that's Blake. Yeah, he's doing awesome. Um, that's, uh, that's the other day. Yep, we are that family that sets up for Christmas right after Halloween because it's a lot of work for four weeks. So we give it two months. Um, but Blake is, Blake is a year and a half. He's all boy, a few words, lots of sounds. 
Um, but one of Blake's favorite toys is this right here. I brought one of Blake's favorite toys, and he's getting pretty good at it. Um, this is one of those that's color-coordinated with different blocks uh, that have different holes in it. And, and, and the secret behind this is every single one of these blocks only has one specific place it goes. Now, they kind of made it easy for the little ones, and so it's color-coordinated. Um, uh, Blake, I almost called him James. Uh, Blake has figured this out. And so uh, what's interesting is Blake is getting pretty good at it, and we got some hexagons, and we got some ovals and triangles. Uh, but it's fun to watch him play. Sometimes he does well, and sometimes he struggles. And when he struggles, uh, you see the human side of him. Uh, I mean, he will like cram it and turn it and bang it and throw it and bite it and ah, you know. Um, uh, and once in a while, he'll turn it and get it in the right in, in the right place. But but often he won't. And we're teaching him to turn it. But you see, even at a year and a half, you see this just like he gets so mad. And what he'll do is he'll push harder and he'll bang it and turn it. And I'm trying to be like, no man, that's like the yellow one. Like it's purple. Like the yellow. Like what do you want? Um, uh, <laughs> But it's kind of fun as a dad, you know, watching him learn. I love, you know, we are the parents that give our kids space to learn. But, but watching, like, man, there's times he just, he's trying so hard to put the wrong block in the wrong space, you know, kind of like the square peg in the round hole, uh, because there's just, there's, there's these blocks, they only have one place that they really go. And I tell you that story, not just because James and Jesus were brothers, not just because I think my kid is cute, uh, which he is, uh, but yours is too, cool, great, um, or was, they might have gotten changed, I don't know. Um, but if I could give you a metaphor for what James is gonna tell us, it's this right here. Like this is what James is about to talk to us about because I watch Blake struggle and strive and no matter how hard he tries, he can't get this block into this hole because this only fits into one space. There's only one thing that's gonna fit into this hole. There's something that was created to fill this spot, to go in this spot. There's only one thing that works. And that's really what James is talking about. Because a lot of us, that's kind of a picture of our life. We've tried to fit a part of our soul, a part of our story, a part of our happiness, a part of our life. We are trying to cram things into that part of our whole, our soul, uh, toys, money, relationships, entertainment, and it doesn't matter how many blocks we have, and it doesn't matter how many times we try. It's like fitting a square peg in a round hole, and James is about to tell us this is what's going to cause problems in our life because we're trying to fill our life with something that was never meant and doesn't fit. In fact, James chapter 4 verse 1 says this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And so James is going to start with this attention getter of, why are we always at each other? What, what's causing the strife, the gossip, the backbiting, the jealousy, the anger, the enviousness? Like, why, why, what's happening with this? And what really James is doing is he's setting the table to really talk about this kind of square peg in the round hole principle. And what he's about to tell us, I'm going to tell you where we're going today, is that what he's about to tell us is that the evil in our lives, the unsettling in our lives, the problem in our lives stems from us trying to feel, fill the emptiness we feel in our lives with anything other than God. 
Whether you believe it or not, whether you know it or not, there's something that's true of all of us. And all of us were created at conception, at our birth, with a God-shaped hole in our heart and a God-shaped hole in our soul. And just like my son Blake, we have the choice of whether we're going to put God in the God-shaped hole or if we're going to try to choose something else we deem more satisfying, more fulfilling, better, and we spend a lot of us, our lives is like square peg in a round hole, and it's why it doesn't matter how many jobs we have, relationships we have, what our bank account or zeros have, it's like, why do I still feel empty? And James is gonna tell us the reason you feel empty is there's, there's a part of you that can only ever be satisfied and fulfilled by the most loving God, the creator of your soul, the, the the knower of your purpose, but so many of us are missing it because we're spending our energy and we're, ah, you know? And it's like, I got all these blocks, I got all this, and how am I still so messy? And so James is gonna, as he's been doing every, every week we've been reading this, really encourage us to look deep with inside. And, and James is saying that something inside of us is lacking. He's saying we take, we need more because we're not already at peace. Our passions like wage war within us um, and then, because we are not at peace, because we are not filled with the God-shaped hole, because we can't find that satisfaction, when we see anybody else who is satisfied or is happy or gets the thing we think we want, we can't be like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy for you. We're like, rah, 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 what do they believe? You should see the way that he treats his wife, and I can't believe, and probably lied and cheated on his taxes to get the new boat. And you know, like we just, like we, we literally can't help ourselves. We get frustrated with, and then not only get frustrated with other people and get jealous, but you know what we ultimately do? And this is where James gets in our business right away is we ultimately, we get frustrated at the people in our lives for not fulfilling the emptiness inside of us. And we start placing expectations for something that was created to fill a spot that only the creator can fill. Come on, somebody. But, it's, but we gotta be pay, pay attention to recognize it because we don't say it out loud, but we think it or we feel it. My boss isn't paying me enough. My spouse isn't loving me enough. My leader isn't recognizing me or my gifts enough. My kids don't make me proud enough or look good enough or act good enough. My friend doesn't call enough, email enough, send me enough DMs on Instagram or whatever the case may be. And he says, we have problems. This evil that exists in our life is because we have something that is this emptiness that can only be filled by God and we're trying to fill it with other things, including other people. And then we start getting at them because like, well, you don't really, you don't even care about me and you love me. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. They couldn't even do that if you wanted. Only God could fill that space in your life. And James wants to point us, there's a, there's a really, really cool good news part of this right in the middle that's super awesome. But the first five verses are like getting backed into a corner. And we're only in verse two. And so he says, you desire and you don't get what you want. He goes, and then you do not have because you do not ask God. And then he goes even further. And then he goes, and then when you do ask God, you don't even receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you can spend whatever he gives you on yourself, on your pleasures. What, what James is saying is you're only asking God to give you that thing to fill the emptiness you feel. You're saying, hey, filler of the emptiness. I'm not interested in you filling the emptiness, but can you give me something else you created that will? Come on, right? That's what James is saying. We, don't, we never really ask God. We, James is saying, we don't ask God, God, satisfy me, fulfill me, be more than enough. 
Or maybe we asked and we asked wrongly. And James, I, I know I as a pastor, we, 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 we love to encourage people in their journey with God. And so often I know I've said this, like, you know, there's no really wrong way to pray. James would be like, uh, actually there is. James is saying there's a wrong way to pray. Hey, God, give me what I want so that I could be happy because you can't make me happy. James is like, that is a wrong way to pray. And he's saying, without realizing it, that's what some of us do. He's saying to spend it on your passions. And then James, James again, if, if he hasn't already been clear enough, he's just like, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with God means enmity with the world? He's saying you can't have it both ways. Again, this whole book is about godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. And, and, you, and he's saying, I probably shouldn't say this, but it's really memorable and you'll will remember, so I'm going to say it. Um, but what he's saying is so many of you have been sitting on the fence so long, no wonder your crotch hurts so much and you're so, such a bad person. I told you, you won't forget. But it is, how many of us are like, man, we're just so sore because we're sitting on the fence and we got one foot in one world, one foot in this. And he's like, if you would just pick a side, you could at least give your crotch a break. <laughs> My job is to paint a picture you won't forget. You're welcome. <laughs> square peg in a square hole. So he says, you adulterous people. Now, why does he use the, word, the term adulterous? He says, why that term? Because, because what James is saying, and, and he's gonna shift gears here in a second. What he's saying is he's saying, and here's the invitation, and I would say this, and I'm journeying, and I've found this as well, is that you could have this relationship with God that is so fulfilling. You could have this relationship with God that is so satisfying that he will meet your needs and he will be more than you enough, and you have to let him in that space, but, but you can have this you, you could actually experience that, and he will satisfy every single one of your needs. But you think you need something else or you want something else, so you ask the actual one who loves you to give you something else in his place. And for some of us, that's probably what we came to hear this weekend. Like, how many of our prayers are about God giving me something else that'll point to some sort of form of happiness? Not need, not survival, not providing my needs, but I think I would enjoy my life more. I think I would be blah, 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 blah. And he's saying, and, and James is saying, don't ask him for something he created to make you fulfilled and happy and satisfied. Ask him to make you fulfilled and satisfied and happy. Jesus said it this way. Seek, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 33, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and then all the things you need will be added unto you. He's not saying you can't have anything, but he's saying, let's put God in his proper space. Let's make sure he fills that hole. But, we look out, but, but because we don't look uh, somewhere else, because we look somewhere else instead of God, James, Jesus' brother, calls that adultery. And so he goes on and he says, therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. That is like really strong language. Or do you think that it says without reason, and this is where it's gonna to start to shift to the, like, the good news and like the invitation part, the what we can do, the hope that there is in this. He says, or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? Now, a couple things about this. What he's saying is he's quoting an old scripture. He's saying that, that God jealously longs for his spirit to dwell in us, to be in us, to dwell in us. So two things. First of all, let me just, some of you, you need me to do this, and I needed to do this at one point. That word jealousy, that's not like God's word. That's our word. What I mean is that's the best word we could come up with to describe how much God wants to be with us. God does not suffer from jealousy. He's not an insecure God who is needy if you don't like him. That's not what it means. It's just the closest emotion word in the English language we have because the point isn't jealousy. 
jealousy. It's how much he longs. And he says to dwell within us. Why? Because from the beginning of time in the whole story of the Bible, from the beginning to the end, is a God who loves us, who wants to be in us. It's not that he wants to make something to obey him. It's not that he wants something to serve him. He wants to hang out with us. In the very beginning, it was in the garden. Then right after the garden didn't work out, it was the tabernacle, a traveling tent. Then when they build a city, it was the temple. Then when the temple was done, it was actually Jesus literally came to live and dwell among us. More on that in our Christmas series. It's gonna be fantastic. And then Jesus left and he's like, it's better that I leave because now I'm gonna give you my spirit so I can dwell inside of you. And then if you go all the way to the end of Revelation, it's the garden back over again where we live with God. From the beginning, it's not obey me. It's not serve me. It's not fear me. It's not revere me. It's I long to be with you. And I long to be with you, not so you can owe me because I am the only thing that can fully satisfy your life and your soul. And when you figure that out, you'll actually enjoy everything else I have for you so much more. You'll need it so much less and you'll love it so much more. It's this really crazy weird thing where it's like everything I have, I enjoy it so much more, but I don't even need it because that's not the source of my fulfillment, my value, my worth, etc. And that's what James is talking about. And so what he's saying is, is, is in our hearts or the, with our words or with our bank accounts or whatever he's saying, we, we say, God, you're actually not enough. So can you give me this or can you give me that? Can you give me him? Can you give me her or whatever the case may be? And so I think we, we, can owe, we, we, we probably owe it to ourselves to ask the question, am I so in love with the world that I'm not even trying to find fulfillment in God? Like, is it, is I, am I so distracted? Is, have I bought into the lie of the world's wisdom? That, like, you need to have, I mean, turn on the TV. It's, it's just constant. Here's what you need to make it. Here's what you need to be happy. Here, I mean, whether it's women, whether it's beer, whether it's a 401k, whether it's golf, I mean, it doesn't hurt. Uh, a boat, it, it's just, it's, it's, it's constant. And it's, again, I'm not, that's what the world should do. It's not all evil sin, but it's, it, if we're not careful, we're just gonna be like, yeah, I gotta have all of it or I'm just nothing, I'm nothing. And now we see a whole generation coming up that's watching the whole world on Instagram and TikTok and, and going, I actually, I do need all of that. And if I don't, what's wrong with my life? And God would, and James would say, nothing. There's, a, there's the, the creator lover of your soul that can more than satisfy. And, and James is saying, you can't have it both ways. Or in other words, get off the fence. And now here's the most important part. This is probably the most, I think one of the most important things James says, if not in the entire letter, it might be one of the most important things that you have to understand in the entire New Testament. Um, uh, and this is like where the really good news gets in because I don't know if you're like, like when I read this again, at this point, I'm like, I'm kind of feeling back to a corner. I'm like, okay, all right. I'm sorry I love this so much. I'm sorry I put that on my wife. I'm sorry I put that on my kids because I'll tell you that I'm guilty. Like, oh, you know, I just, how many times, like I just need to get away. I just need to go golfing. I just need you know, time with my family, or if I only had this, and God's like, hey, like, how about invite me in to, like, fill that space? Like, watch what I can do. So I, I wrestle with that. So I'm like, man, is it just hopeless? Are we all just doomed? And then James switches his tune, and this is so good. Verse 6, he says, but he gives us more grace. This is so good, you guys. This is what I came to tell you this weekend. He gave you more grace. Here's what's really interesting. An inquiring mind would ask, more than what? Because there's really no comparison here, right? There's no like, well, if, you, if it's this much sin or this much emptiness, here's the best part. Whatever it is you're lacking, it's more. Where however many times you've blown it, it's more. 
However bad you are, it's more. However much you've sworn away from God, it's more. However much anger you have in your heart, it's more grace. However many mistakes you've made, if there's one person who doesn't deserve Jesus and doesn't deserve to go to heaven and all that, and it's you, there's more. So it doesn't matter. The whole more is actually comparative to our world. Whatever your mess is, whatever your insecurities, whatever your hangups, whatever your doubts, whatever all your stuff is, like whatever it is, there's more grace. This is what separates following Jesus from every other world religion that has ever existed in the human history. Because this one's about grace. It's about grace. And if I don't think I need grace, I need a reality check. And he's saying there's more. So every time you're in a tough spot, every time you think it's, you've blown it, every time you're like, man, here we go again. Guess what? You know what James would say? There's more grace. There's more grace. But here we are again. There's more grace. There's more grace. Well, where did he learn that? Oh, I don't know. His big brother because he watched Jesus be full of truth and full of grace. There's more. So I don't know what you're going through. I don't know. I'm deviating from my notes. I don't know what you came in with this weekend. I don't know what you're dealing with behind that screen. But whatever it is, here's what God would say to you right now in this moment in history is, I have more grace than you need. Whatever the situation is, whatever the dire situation is, I have more grace. And I dare you to ask him how much more and give him room to show you because he will blow your mind. There's more grace, but there's a catch. There is a catch. And this is like, this is probably the linchpin of the book of James and really the whole New Testament scriptures. So he says, that's why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That word opposes actually has more of a picture and a feel to it than a definition. And it's the only thing we see in scripture that God is adamantly against. It, and it's the picture of God using all of his strength, channeling all of his power and energy, literally in the opposite direction. It's the, this is the picture. It's like, I oppose this. I don't think I like my chances when God opposes me. Here's what's crazy. And here's what's so crazy, church. This is how much we don't know our God and his word and his kingdom. Because here's why. Because it doesn't say he opposes the sexually immoral. It doesn't say he opposes the slanderer. It doesn't say he opposes the gossiper. It doesn't say he opposes the murderer. It doesn't say he opposes, I mean, I could list every sin and he's not for any of them. But it, nowhere in scripture in the Old or New Testament does it say he opposes any sin except one. And what is it? Pride. What, what, what kind of pride are we talking about? I don't need God. That's what pride is. I can fill this myself. I'm a self-made man. I can do it myself. I, I'm gonna make it. Like, I don't need God. I, can, I got this. I can figure it out. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Even if you've rejected him, he gives more grace. Even if you've made the same mistake a thousand times, he gives you more grace. If. We will humble ourselves, and it, it can be a physical posture, but it's more of a posture of our heart going, God, I just, I need more of you. And, and a humble heart doesn't defend itself. A humble person doesn't make excuses because if, it were, if, we're, if we're up to excuses, we all have a lot of valid reasons we do stupid things. We didn't get, you know, our dads didn't love us. We didn't get enough attaboys from our, our, our t-ball coach. I mean, pick one. Some of us went through some really, really rough stuff. We all have reasons, but, but a humble heart doesn't say, you know what, like, oh, this is the reason why. Um, it just, it's, it, a humble heart says, this one's on me. I did this. 
I know some pretty not great things happened to me up to this point, but I still chose to grab the bottle. I still did this. I still said this. I, still, I know you hurt me a million times over, but I also chose to say this, respond this way. And what God is saying is there is so much more grace if we take the humble road. And so what, what, what I would want you to know and what James would want you to take away from this message from this week is that grace accompanies humility. Grace accompanies humility. You want more, oh, pastor, I want more grace in my life. Great, here's the caveat. Here's the catch. Here's, the, here's your deal. It always accompanies humility. I'm good, I got this, we're good. Now you're not gonna get grace. Why? Because you're not being humble. I'm, I've blown it, I need this. I'm a, a wretched soul, I'm a sinner. Then you have not just grace, how much grace? More grace, more grace. Grace accompanies humility. Last week, I, we, I talked about how James opened his letter and saying you shouldn't rush into being an influencer or a teacher because you'll be judged more strictly uh, and how I always thought that was by God, uh, but I quickly learned it was by people too. Well, this applies also because not only will God give you grace when you're humble, you know what I found with humans? They're very gracious in humility as well. So you will not only find grace with God, but you'll find a lot of grace with, with decent humans when you walk the humble road. When you're quick to say, I'm sorry, my bad, how can I do better? I, I, I'm, I'm sorry I mistreated you or whatever the case may be. And here's the best part. Now James is, if, if you're like me, I'm like, okay, I want more grace. I don't want God to oppose me. Thank you for that. So like, what do I gotta do? And he gives us literally the next verse is three practical steps. And so he says, he's literally gonna say, how do we ex experience this grace? How do we walk in the ways of God? How do we make sure that, that I become more and more like Jesus? And he says in verse seven, he's gonna give you three things. He says, then if you wanna know, here's what you gotta do. Number one, he says, submit yourself to God. Submit yourself to God. Submit, somebody say submit. submit. Somebody online type submit, submit. Submit yourself to God. What, that, what does that mean? God, it's humble, it's humility, right? My life is in your hands. I give you control. You call the shots. You gave me breath in my lungs. You know my purpose. You created my order. You didn't make a mistake. Although I may be confused about everything about me, you are not confused about everything about me. So I submit myself to you, to your, to your love, to your plan. I submit myself to you. You're in control. I'm not in control. I'll move over to this, the passenger seat. I'll buckle myself in. Why don't you take the wheel? That's submit. And then he says, after you've done that, then resist the devil too. Resist the devil. Like, Actually push back a little bit. All those voices in your head, like the, it's, it's kind of saying like the whole, like, oh, I just couldn't help myself and I just don't know what to do. He's like, yeah, actually you can. Like have a little bit of grit, man. <laughs> That's what James is saying. He's like push back. When the devil's like punch your neighbor, yell at your wife, steal that whatever. Like, like actually we're not gonna do that. Like resist. He doesn't say, listen, here's, the here's what I learned what, as a, in children's ministry. This so helped me. It doesn't say defeat the devil because I can't. All I gotta do is like, I'm trying. <laughs> And it says, submit to God, resist the devil, and here's the promise that comes with it. And come near to him, draw near to him. And when you do that, guess what? He will draw near to you. So three things. Submit to God, resist the devil, and draw near to God. And when I do these things, when I draw near to God, he promises he will come near to me. So this is submit. Submit is like no more bossing God around. Well, God, where were you and why didn't you? If you were real. No, no, no. It's like, God, I trust your, I trust your sovereignty. There's more grace and the promise is that he will come near to you. And what will happen is when he comes near to you, he will start to fill that void. He will start to fill those holes and all the stuff that you were trying to pack in there before, he will satisfy you and he will literally change and give you new desires of your 
heart. He uses some powerful words. He goes on in verse nine, he says, and, and in doing this, he says, grieve, mourn, and wail, change your laughter into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. He's not saying you actually have to make yourself do this. What he's saying is he's using powerful words about the idea of brokenness and a contrite heart. It's, it's this idea of, I think I've missed the point of life. I've kind of I've swung and missed on this. Um, and uh, it, it, the prayer isn't about asking for more things that I want. The prayer is about recognizing that God I want you and you are the only one that can fulfill me. So I'm gonna stop looking to everything you created. I'm gonna start looking to my creator. Will you change my desires and will you meet my needs? And it's walking away from the other junk going like, I'm sorry, I thought I needed all this. And then he kind of jumps in and, 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 and uh, we're gonna go quickly through the second part to verse 13. So the first part of this, James chapter four, is all about submit. It's about humbling yourself and submit. You're not in control. You're not in charge. You're not in control. I just had a conversation with somebody last, last night, and we were just talking about how I think we've been reminded the last couple of years how little we're actually in control of. Pandemics and hurricanes and financial downturns and houses and all of this, and, and um, it's just kind of the great American myth that we're the boss, we're in charge, we're the king, and we can do whatever we want. We're kings of the world, and we're actually not. And so it's humbling, go, God, like I trust, I'm gonna submit myself to you. And then with submission comes a second part and that's where James goes in on this. And, and so he says, now listen, he goes, let, me, let me address a second issue. There's kind of two themes to this. He says, listen, to you who say today or tomorrow, we will go do this or go to that city or spend a year there or carry on and do business and make money. So far I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a great plan. He goes, why do you not, uh, why you do not even know what to happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. He's saying, don't be so arrogant that you make plans aside from God. He's speaking to the myth of control. He's saying, why are you going like, hey, we're going to do this, and we're going to up and root our family, and we're going to da-da-da-da-da-da, and, and we have all these plans. And, and James isn't saying you shouldn't have vision. You should just hope, like sit on your couch and hope something good happens. He actually, but he's saying, but instead, it's, just a, it's, it's a slight change, but it's massive from the inside out. He says, instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we want to do this. If God wills it, if the Lord wills it, we're going to do this or we're gonna live in this or that, but instead you boast in your arrogant schemes and all such boasting is evil. I, I mean, I feel like if, if one of you had a neighbor or coworker is like, you know what, um, you know, next week we're gonna, you know, we're gonna move back to Chicago. Uh, we're gonna start the real estate license back up again, be close to family, uh, you know, and, and then we're gonna, you know, uh, kind of start over, get our kids in school. Nobody, I don't think any of us would be like, that is so arrogant. But James calls it that, but it's not because you have a plan. It's this subtle yet important heart posture of if the Lord wills it. It's just this idea of making plans outside of God. We, I used to get so annoyed, but it was my problem. We had a, our, my pastor I worked for for 16 years. Every, we'd have these staff meetings. We have service planning meetings. And every week we'd get to the part like, you know, preaching. And, and we would always ask, pastor, are you preaching this weekend? And he always had the same answer. And he would always just say, Lord willing. And I'm like, Ugh! just say yes. Is it on? Is PCO, is your name on it? But he was like, he had James memorized actually. And he was taking James's wisdom and going like, that's the plan, but it's really in God's hands. And again, this is a man who was in a wheelchair at age 40 because of a car accident he knew was coming. So if anybody knew you can't plan for tomorrow, it was my pastor. But he got this, he, 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 he revealed that his heart was just, yeah, that's my plan, but God, anything's in control. And so this is just simply the acknowledgement of and the inclusion in your plans. You just, all James is saying is like, he's not saying don't plan, don't have thoughts. He's saying, will you just include God and will you acknowledge him along the process? 
God, it seems you're leading us in this direction. This seems good to you. There's a, a really huge decision that had to happen in Acts about the future of the church that we sit in, Acts 15. And it says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to the council. All it was was them just saying, we're acknowledging God in our plans. Here's what we think. Here's the direction we're going. But God, what do you think about this? If you will, if this seems good to you. And so James is saying, along with submission comes this idea of you kind of can't submit unless you understand and believe that God is also sovereign. He's saying, will you acknowledge the sovereignty of God? How do I walk humble? How do I resist the devil? How do I, how do I uh, humble myself? Is I acknowledge that God is sovereign, and if he really is good and he really is sovereign, then I can submit. And so James is actually inviting these two ideas as sovereignty and submission. Do I really believe God is in control? We say it, we sing it, but do we live like it? When Hurricane Ian comes, when the market crashes, there's a financial downturn predicted that's probably inevitable in the next couple of years. If anything we've learned in the last two years, it's like a lot can happen in a short amount of time. Do I really believe God's still in control? Well, I don't know. Things are getting harder in America. Things are still a lot easier in America than most of the places I've been in the world. Is God really in control? Yeah. If he's really in control and he's really good and he really is the only one that can fill that hole, then actually the only logical response is to submit and go, God, my life is your own. I believe as much as I don't understand because me trying to understand everything is actually a fake coping mechanism of control. Some of us, we have to understand everything because it's a form of control and God's like, no, that's the opposite of me being sovereign. I'm in control. I'm the creator. This idea of if we are submitted, we're actually living in his sovereignty the inclusion of God. And so what submission looks like, let me just give you a picture as we close. God, you gave breath to my lungs. You put me on the earth in this time in history. So what do you want me to do with my life? How do you want me to spend my life? What do you want me to do with the energy, the strength, the gifts, the resources you've given me? How do you want me to live so that I can be fully and completely fulfilled by you as well as point other people to you? That's what a fully submitted life looks like. That's the posture of a humble heart that says, I'm not in control. I wanna use everything I can to be fulfilled by God and I wanna submit to his sovereignty because he and he alone can fill that void, the evil in my life, the quarrel, the, decision, the, the division and the factions and everything that goes wrong in my life is broken is because I'm trying to fill that emptiness with something other than God. So here's a great way as we kind of close. I want you to think about this as we pray and, and really do an evaluation. You got a couple minutes to really look at your life. So I want you to think about this. I put it on the screen. James, I think, is, is, is inviting us to wrestle with this. If God had complete control over my body, my tongue, my life, and my resources, what would he do with it? What would he have me do? What would he have me say? These are questions that somebody who wants to live a submitted life to a sovereign God would do well to ask. And James wrote a letter to believers 2,000 years ago and God put it in his word. So 2,000 years later, we could look at it and I believe ask the same question. 
Am I really looking for God to fill that hole or am I trying to cram something else in it? Am I trying to be satisfied by something other than God? And if so, the invitation is there's more grace. There's more grace, but it's going to require you to go, God, I'm going to stop trying to cram that in there and I'm going to bow the knee of my heart and I'm going to submit my life to you and go, what do you want me to do with my life? Because so far, everything that I've done has come up kind of empty. So will you fill it? I want you to channel my resources. You leverage my education. You use my skills. And he will, and it will be beautiful, and it will be so fulfilling. And when you make these grand plans, God isn't saying don't have grand plans, but will you acknowledge and include me along the way so I can say that's not me or that sounds like a really good idea. I want to empower you to do that. Just the simple inclusion of God. This whole chapter is about submission, and it's about surrender. It's a letter to the believer, but it's also a letter to the unbeliever, and it's a great a mirror and a great invitation to all of us. And so my question as we close is, how are you doing being submitted? Are you really fully submitted? Are you looking to God to fill that emptiness, or are you looking for something else? It starts by giving him your life. We call that being born again or salvation or a new birth. And it's just a prayer. It's, a, it's, a, it's an act of faith to say, God, I'm putting my life in your hands. And I believe, there are just, I believe there's people here this weekend that you, the, your eternity hangs in the balance and you've been doing everything you can and God's like, hey, let me do that for you. And so if that's you this weekend, I'm gonna say a prayer for all of us to repeat and all you have to do is believe in your heart that, that you're receiving Jesus, that you wanna give your life to Jesus. And for others of us who've made that decision, but we kind of got a foot on both sides this is James' invitation to hop off the fence and jump all in. And so I'm going to ask everybody to repeat this prayer after me. You can stay seated right where you're at. And you and God know if you mean this in your heart. And it's just a prayer of submission and acknowledging his sovereignty. And so I'm going to say that. And if you feel comfortable repeating this prayer after me, I want to invite you to join me. Heavenly Father, I believe you're sovereign. I believe you're good. And I believe you have more grace. So I humble myself in this moment and say, I need more of you. I've been trying to fill my life with things other than you. And I'm walking away from that. I'm saying, I'm sorry. I'm asking you to come in, fill the void, fill the emptiness, fully satisfy me. I submit to you. My life is in your hands. All of my resources are at your access. My family, my dreams, my education, my energy belongs to you. Will you use it for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen.